Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Join us on Wednesday night as we are in the book of Psalms. Encourage you to come out for that. What a beautiful day in the Lord to gather together. The humidity is going down. It's a great time in Myrtle Beach fall. I love it here. Revelation 19. Now I saw heaven opened, verse 11, and a white horse. And he who sat on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it that he would strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, then I saw another angel standing in the sun. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you might eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit upon them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, to which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeds from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Keep going couple more verses. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, sealed, put a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have come to this passage of Scripture. Finally, Lord, seeing you come back to rule and to reign, to measure out judgment and justice on a Christ-rejecting world. Let us hear from you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I put something out yesterday on Instagram and, um, you know, remembering 9-11. And really what 9-11 just shows us is that there is evil in the world. Yes? There is a certain group of people on planet Earth that would have you believe that evil does not exist. Well, it does exist. Um, And it showed itself on that day in 2001. But what what I wanted everyone to be hopeful was... Was? 
is that our hope is not in man or in our military or in presidents. It is the rider on the, on the white horse. Amen? So you, hopefully you read ahead, but this is a joyful passage. This is very exciting today. You see, for the church, we have been waiting for 2,000 years for this chapter. For the world, it has been 6,000 years to ultimately see God reign on planet Earth. And so today is a joyful section of Scripture, although filled with some really, uh, all right, we'll leave out the flesh part and the birds. But uh, let's see the rider on the white horse. Amen? So keep your place here. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 23. And this is how this, this section starts. And if you're taking note, as we saw that for next week, Lord willing, we will get into the thousand-year reign of Christ, and we'll look at a lot of passages from the Old Testament describing that. But here in Matthew 23, verse 37, notice the red letters. This is Christ speaking. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left desolate. And here's our verse. For I say to you, I will see you no more till you say, to who says? The Jewish people, the Jewish nation. Take note of this. Blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord. Now let's go back to Revelation. So when the Jewish nation rejected Jesus for the most part, oh yes, Jews came to a saving knowledge of Christ afterwards, after his resurrection, his ascension to the throne in heaven, as the disciples were bringing this good message around their known world at the time, many Jewish people were coming to a saving knowledge of Christ. Wonderful. But for the most part, the religious leaders had rejected their Messiah prophesied from the Old Testament. And what he said to them was, okay, if that is your decision, note that Jesus doesn't force his will upon anyone. It is a free choice. We've seen that over the last few weeks in Revelation. But as they made that choice, he said to them, okay, here's the deal. You will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, for the most part, the Jewish nation has been uh, set aside in the wilderness. God has been protecting them for roughly three and a half years now. And so now it's the end of the three and a half years. This is the end of everything that we know on planet Earth until the thousand-year reign. This is the, we're going to see the, the battle of Armageddon. It's not a battle. It's Jesus whooping on everybody. Amen. Who was just a little bit excited about this section? Why? Because you're, all right, we'll get to that in a minute. But, so, they have been protected. They see the enemy coming towards them, the Antichrist and all of them, and they, they cry the statement out. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And boom, verse 11. 
That's your context. Everybody got that? You got to know your context to know where we are, amen? Because then it doesn't make sense. Why is he coming back? Why is he coming back right now? Well, because the Jewish nation just cried out that they would see their Messiah again. So it tells us, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. According to Zechariah 3 and 4, let me read it to you. And then the Lord will go forth and fight against the nation. And as he fights in that day of that battle, and in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will split into two, and from the east to the west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall be moved towards the north and half to the south. So this event that we're seeing, we're going to see this rider coming, Jesus, on the horse. He comes, and then he puts his foot on the Mount of Olives. It splits in two, and next week we're going to read what happens when it splits in two. Let me give you a hint. There's a river that comes out of it, and part of it goes to the Mediterranean Sea. Part of it goes to the Dead Sea, which will no longer be dead. But now Jesus stands here as he is going to deal with not only the Antichrist, the devil, that's why we read a little bit in chapter 20, but he deals with everything right now. Notice it says, and he who sat on it was called faithful and true. Why is he faithful? Because his promise in John 14, behold, if I go away, if I go away I'm going to come back, I'm going to receive you unto myself. That where I am, you may be what also. So he is faithful because he kept his promise. He's faithful because he is about to do this new work on planet earth. Uh, He's going to rule with a rod of iron. That's from Psalms. He's faithful because he is fulfilling everything that he said. Jesus said not one jot nor tittle, not one little mark or comma in the Bible will be left undone. He will fulfill everything. This is, listen, you you know I have a long list of issues, don't you? This, This is really my therapy each week. But it saddens me that the church does not look into the Old Testament and find everything about Jesus there. Remember we were just in Psalm 22, and that was speaking about his time upon the cross? You don't have that in the Gospels. You have it in Psalm 22. That's why it's so important to study the Old Testament because it gives us commentary for the New Testament. You want to know what's going on? If there's a question, always find it in the Old Testament. And so he is faithful, but he is also true. Note with me here that in righteousness, that means Whatever he does is right. I've made this statement for the last probably four weeks. (laughs) Everything God does is right. He doesn't do anything wrong. Do you know that? Okay, listen, that's kind of important. Because there are a lot of people, even in the church, that don't like what God's doing. Well, when you become God, which won't happen, and you make your own universe, which won't happen, right? You can do whatever you want. This is God's world, God's universe, God's plan. And at the end of it, we're all going to say yay and amen. Everything that God's ever done, we're going to say, 
Lord, what you did was right. And in my, my little 3% brain that's running right now, some of you are like four. Einstein was around 10. What does that tell us about the potential of that little mass up there? We're running around 3%. Like, no wonder I lose my keys. I don't even know my kids' names. He is righteous. Whatever he does is right. Whatever he does is true because he is faithful when we are faithless. But note with me, he judges and he makes war. Sitting through a day like yesterday, isn't it good news to read this verse? You know, man thinks he can judge and he can measure out judgment. Not as good as Jesus because wait till you see this Lord of lords and King of kings riding on this horse. For the last seven years, the church has been at the marriage feast of the Lamb. That was last week. And now it is our time to come back with him. I want you to note as we work our way through this section how little we have to do with this battle coming up. He doesn't even need us, amen? It even says he's doing this, he's doing that. He, it's not like, and then Ron pulled out a sh- shoulder-launched missile. Although cool, I'd like to do that. Lord, can I have one of those mounted on my horse? Oh, the things I think. He doesn't even need us, and yet he calls us his army. Why? We're useless. It's just him. Isn't that wonderful? Can I give you an overall principle on planet Earth? God doesn't need us at all. But he chooses you and I as his instrument to bring people to a saving knowledge of himself. Is that glorious or what? He didn't have to use us. There are angels that are much more efficient. He doesn't have to use us, but he chooses to. And I'm so glad that for whatever reason, God called me, called my wife, to this tourist trap of a place in Myrtle Beach. Because the things that God has done in our life through this church is amazing. Not by my might, but by his might and his spirit. And so it says in verse 11 that he judges and he makes war. He has given mankind 6,000 years. Don't look at this section and say God's not fair. He's very fair. In fact, over the last seven years, In the tribulation, he has given mankind opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, right? Angels flying around, two witnesses in Jerusalem. On and on it goes, the opportunity to accept him. But at this point, the door is closed like in Noah. It's done. He has shut the door. Notice that his eyes were like a flame of fire. That always speaks of judgment in the Bible. And on his head were many crowns. And a name was written that no one knew except for him. Like, John, why did you have to put that? Like, if we can't know it, then why put it? Uh, We'll ask him later. Notice it says he has a crown. This is a different crown uh, than the Stephanos in the Greek, which would be a victor at an Olympic of that time. This is many diadems. It's a sign of royalty. What was the last crown that Jesus wore? 
crown of thorns. It's interesting when we're in that section how we pull that he is wearing the very thing that was cursed with Adam and Eve. Adam, cursed is the ground. You will have to toil and labor and there will be thorns that come up from it. And Jesus not only takes the penalty and the sin of mankind, but he bears the curse of man upon his head. But now that crown of thorn is gone. And he wears the new crown, the royalty crown. Because as we'll see in a minute, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse 13 tells us that he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the word of God. The word dipped here is in the Greek. It's a word where we get our English word baptized. Now, it's not just dipping. That is full immersion. Jesus' robe is completely covered. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Remember earlier in the Battle of Armageddon, which is this battle just revisited again, it said that the blood came up to the horse's bridle. But notice also his name is called the Word of God. In, in this book that we hold in our hand, this Bible, Jesus said, every word speaks of me. The volume of the book speaks of me. So why not study it? Why not learn more about him? The Word of God won't return void. And here it is, verse 14. I know you were waiting for your part today. Are you ready for your part? You better learn it. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. These are God's people. In fact, in Jude 14 and 15, it says this. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on them, to convict all of their ungodliness among them, their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in their ungodly ways, and of all of their harsh things, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jude tells us that we are part of this group. We are coming back with the Lord. There is no mention of any kind of us having armor or weapons or anything. It just simply says, take note, that we are clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, for a long time, we, we have told you here at Calvary Chapel to learn how to ride a horse. Amen? But I have changed my position. Are you ready for it? By the way, did you note the only animals in heaven are horses? Now, you know, whatever you do with that later with your animal at home, sorry. Jesus has this animal, this horse, and then we have horses as well. I have come to the conclusion that you don't need to ride a horse, that God knows what he's working with, and that horse is pre-programmed to ride. Amen. You ever been on that little horse at the, the, in front of the supermarket when you were a kid? That's what you're getting. No quarter needed. Think about that. That horse is going to know where it's going. <laughs> Amen. Isn't that good enough? Lord, I don't know how to ride. It's all right. Bob, your horse, knows where he's going. 
You and I sit on this white horse with him, and we follow him. We are clothed in fine linen. When the Bible speaks of this, it speaks of purity, that our sins have been wiped away. And for seven years, we have been with our Lord. We have heard, well done, good and faithful servant. We have received our crowns of glory that we have done in the body of Christ. We have had fellowship with him. And now we have a job to do, which we will see next week. Verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it it should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, and he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. So out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. Keep your place here. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 12. Good verse to have underlined and highlighted, memorized. For the word of God is living. It's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the divisions of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. You ever talk to somebody and they know what's going on in your life, and you're like, who told you? You've been here on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday, and you hear me talking about something, and it's like your spouse called me on the phone. They did, but no. This is the Holy Spirit that works and moves within his body. But it's God's word that's alive. And I need you to hear this today and know this, that the book in which you are holding in your hand, although ancient, is alive. It's not old. It's not irrelevant to the day. It is very relevant to the day. In fact, it is the most powerful book that man has ever seen. It is the manual for human beings on planet earth. Y'all got a manual when you bought a car, amen? Most of us never read the manual. Maybe to find out. I mean, look, we don't even uh, read it to look what the uh, type of oil anymore. Because why? We just go to the oil guy, and the oil guy just does what he does. It, we never open it. It's like a brand new book in there. How many people do that even inside of the church? Never open up the book. Never open up the manual. You got a problem? It's in the manual. You want to know how to fix it? It's in the manual. Everything that you and I do, it's in the manual. If we would heed the word of God. Why? Because the word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. It gets to the very heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is the problem with the heart. That is our issue. He says, it's the discerner and the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Well, let's turn back to Revelation. So out of his mouth, verse 15, goes a sharp sword. And with it, he would strike the nations. 
and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. So next week, Lord willing, we will get into this thousand-year reign and what that looks like and what that rod will represent. Not today, but next week we'll talk about that rod. And notice he himself, so notice, <laughs> he is doing all of He's doing it to strike the nations. He's ruling them with the rod of iron. He is treading down. He doesn't need us. I don't even know why we're there. Uh, we're like the cute backup group in the band <laughs> that can be easily replaced, amen. I don't even know why we're there. Lord, just take care of it. I'll keep eating. Let me know when I need to come to work. By the way, we will be working for that thousand years. We'll, we'll talk about that. You and I will have a job. I don't know what that job is, but we'll have a job in the kingdom. And it, it will be important as well. That's next week. Stop telling me to talk about it right now. He says in verse 16, And he had on his robe and his thigh a name that was written, King of kings and the Lord of lords. We too will have the name of our God written upon our forehead. Please note with me that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no one greater than our God. Well, if that wasn't powerful enough, the whole image of Jesus, and then this huge group of people that are behind him, then it says in verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun. Now, we've already seen this guy earlier. Remember, he turned the sun down. He turned the dimmer uh, down on the sun and diminished how much light was coming out. And so this angel standing in the sun cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. So all of the calamity that has happened in the seven-year tribulation period, it would seem <laughs> that God's got a special group of birds to set aside somewhere. I don't know where they are. Maybe they're with the Jewish nation, protected. But wherever they are, they haven't been hurt by the scorching sun, right? The hailstones and any other judgment that was poured upon this Christ-rejected world. So he's got them over there, kind of like the horses, wherever they are. And now these, angel, uh, these angels, these birds are uh, commanded to gather together for the supper of the great God. Now, last week we had our supper, amen? It has been said this way, you're going to be uh, at a supper one way or the other. You're either going to be at the supper or you're going to be supper. <laughs> Got that? <laughs> Don't you love how God is? Now, you can come to the first supper. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to accept Christ. Lord, I want to be with you in your kingdom, in your house. Better to dwell in the house of the Lord, David says. How many times over the last couple of weeks, church, on Wednesday night, have we heard David say he loves hanging out with the body of Christ? He loves going to church. He was a weirdo like we are. What, do you go to multiple services during the week? You go to home fellowships, you go to... Ladies study, men study, you go to a retreat to study more about God? What's wrong with you? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to spend eternity with what's wrong with me. 
and I want to know as much as I can about him. Do you know that it says in the Bible that in the, in the time, pa- our, what's coming in our future it, for eternity, that we will still be learning about him? Doesn't that blow your mind that it will never end? It's not just, and it's not just a cream cheese commercial. It is learning and growing. That's why I have a problem with people who don't want to learn and grow here. You're going to do that for eternity. Let's get back to the birds. Now everybody's thinking about that 60s movie, aren't they? (laughs) Alfred Hitchcock. Creepy. (laughs) Don't watch it today. And he says that you may eat the flesh of the kings. The flesh of the captives. He didn't need to say it is the flesh of everybody. Would have been good, John. But the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of the horses, and those who sit upon them, and the flesh of how many people? Of all. Free and slave, both small and great. And are they, I mean, why are they doing that? Well, it tells us here in verse 19, because he said, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat upon the horse and upon his army. So this section is giving us the end of the battle of Armageddon. Now, again, I said this in the beginning. It's not really a battle. It's just Jesus with us taking them out. So whatever it is, and let me read you a couple of verses to describe it in the context from Revelation 14, it says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on that cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And so he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sharp sickle upon the earth, and the earth was reaped. And then another angel came out of the temple of heaven, also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried out with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And so the angel thrust in his sickle to the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside of the city, and the blood came up to the winepress, up to the horse's bridle, about 1,600 furlongs. Now, the other verse is this. It is Revelation 16. We just did that a couple of weeks ago. It said, Now I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of demons, performing signs, which go to the kings of the earth and of the whole earth to gather them to battle at that great day. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment, lest he watch naked and he is ashamed. We, we talked about that. But this is, this is the last of that verse. And they gathered together in the place in Hebrew called Armageddon or Armageddon. Now, we're back in Revelation 19. 
this ties it all together. So you've got all these verses that line up where they are. Well, it would seem that these armies come together at one point to battle each other. Are you ready for this? And then they see Jesus coming, white horse, and they decide that they are going to turn their attention towards Jesus. Now, listen. We live on planet Earth right now where, um, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but stupidity has reached its, its pinnacle, amen? It's just we, the crazies are running everything. And man and its foolishness and everything that man does. Now, think about the ultimate foolishness of a man thinking, I've got a tank and an F-16. I can blow that guy away in a horse. That's what they think. They're going to turn their attention towards Jesus. Jesus had made mention of this in the parable of the landowner. They said, here is the son, let's kill him, because if we kill him, then we become heirs of the earth. Man just wants God out of the way. And now Jesus comes, and it is finally done. So no more Armageddon after this, amen? From this point on, we now go into a different area in man's history that's coming. But let's finish this Armageddon, and let's get the dragon locked up. Amen? So I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And so the Lord uh, is going to wipe them out with just that sword that comes out of his mouth. Think about this. He puts his foot on the Mount of Olives. And what if he just said go, or done, or no, and they all fall down? And then he calls the birds, and the birds come in and do what the birds are going to do. That's as simple as it's going to be. There's no war (laughs) with Jesus. He is the great conqueror, and he will win. Well, verse 20, this is very exciting. The beast was captured. And the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped the image. And these two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. So in our unholy trinity section a couple of months ago, we saw the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. The Antichrist, remember him? The Antichrist, the beast the false prophet, and then we had the image of the beast. But in this section, we're just talking about the dragon, which is Satan, which is giving power to the beast and his false prophet. So these two human beings, one of them indwelt by Satan, the Antichrist, but then the false prophet, these two are the first ones that go to the lake of fire, which burns for all eternity. So you might ask yourself, well, Where are the people who have not accepted Christ today? Well, they're in a holding tank right now. You might know it. It's called Hades. We like to say that it's hell, uh, but it's called Hades in the Bible. It's that place that Jesus gave the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Do you remember that? Uh, Lazarus, uh, the beggar, was in, in Abraham's bosom, but on the other side, there was a great gulf, and he said, that is Hades over there. And it said that they were in torment of the day. It's a holding cell that's terrible, but not as terrible as we will see in the following uh, messages. So where they are now 
is not where they will be. They will be judged and sent there. And I need you to hear this because whatever we call this later on, if it's hell or eternity or the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, it was created for the devil and his angels, never for mankind. God doesn't send anybody to hell. Everybody got that? They send themselves by the choice that they make to reject Jesus Christ who's riding on the white horse. They want to be their own God. They want to choose their own destiny. But this world was not created so that man would just have a world without God. It was created to have fellowship with God. That's why mankind burns so much to fill his life with something when he doesn't have God. When she doesn't have God, we want to fill that hole with something. And so the beast was captured. I don't know about you. Anybody else want to be the guy that captures him? Lord, can I have a job? Sure, Ron, what is it? Can I punch, punch I mean, lay a hold of him? Think about it. Somebody's got to, maybe it's Michael. He gets all the cool jobs. Somebody lays a hold of these two and listen what they do. These are the false prophet and the beast who work signs in his presence to which he deceived those who receive the mark of the beast. So those who receive that uh, mark was an allegiance to the devil and those who worship the image These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with fire and brimstone. Now, we will learn in a little bit next week that they are alive there. You would think that if you throw two human beings in a lake, if you you would think that if you threw two human beings in a volcano with lava, that they would perish. They won't perish here. They will know their, their penalty and their sin and their torment for all eternity. By the way, you know, this isn't a very popular message in the church, the judgment of God. You really, pastor, shouldn't talk about hell a lot. That's not very seeker-friendly. That's not how to bring people. No, it's exactly how to bring people in. The grace of God has been poured upon man for 6,000 years. For 2,000 years, they have known the way, the truth, and the life, and that only by Jesus you get into what we're going to get into in the new heaven and the new earth. But man has been given every opportunity to accept him. Because you know these people in your life, you know these family members, they come around, it's a holiday, you're like, whatever you do, don't talk to me about that Jesus. I don't want to hear anything about that. Make your prayer really short and don't have Jesus in it. Amen? This one time I was asked to, um, you guys have heard this story before, I was asked to go pray in front of the Myrtle Beach City Council. That was a mistake. They never asked me back. (laughs) But what I was told by another guy is like, don't bring up Jesus. Just do some generic prayer, but don't bring up Jesus. What did I do? Oh, now I didn't get Pentecostal on them, but I did pray at the end in the name of Jesus because that's who I serve. I don't serve a nameless God. I serve Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of who? Jesus. Isn't that important? And so now these two were cast in the lake of fire, burning with fire and brimstone. Now the rest were killed 
with the edge of the sword which proceeds from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So all of the armies, everything else that is left, every other group of people aside from the Jews, everyone else that is in that situation and in that battle is done. The same inspired word which so wonderfully described the grace of God and the salvation which is available to all who believe is equally plain about the judgment in which they receive to at the end. So not, not only is this gospel that we believe in about grace and mercy, but it's also about judgment and justice. What God would it be if there was not judgment and justice? And not about you, but you are seeing the lion of the tribe of Judah finally roaring. The passages on judgment are just as inspired and accurate as to those which we see through the book of Romans about doctrine or in eschatology. Judgment and justice is just as important as a doctrine than any other doctrine as believers that we worship. Last three verses, chapter 20. And the only reason why I'm going into that is because I just want to get the devil out of the way. Amen? This is to get this dude out. But then we'll see next week he'll come back. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. See, it's probably Michael, somebody powerful. You and I couldn't do it. Having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and he shut him up and put a seal upon him. Now, that seal is like the wax seal that you knew of old. They, you know, on a document or on a crate, if you were a merchant, they would pour wax on it. Your signet ring would seal that. This is probably Christ's signet ring, which... Just is cool. Who doesn't want to see that? So he puts this seal on it, and so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. The little while we'll get into next week. So this angel comes down and has a key to the bottomless pit. Where's the bottomless pit? Got no idea. Does it matter? No. Why? Riding on white horses. All I'm caring about it, Bob, where are you going? Let's get us where we're going. But he has a great chain in his hand. Now, there has been some really bad doctrine in the church. And the bad doctrine is all millennialism. Anybody ever heard of that phrase? All millennialism, if I could ever get it out, was developed early in the church, especially in the Roman Catholic Church, because the Roman Catholic Church was gaining power and money and wealth, lands, and they didn't want that to be, well, gone. And they wanted to keep hold of it. So these doctrines in the Bible that are very clear to us, a thousand years means a thousand years. And Jesus ruling and reigning for a thousand years. And that Christ coming before his church before the tribulation. All of these things that we believe that are doctrinally true, they didn't want to believe that because then it would be removing their power. So what they came up with is, we are living in the thousand years now. Although it's like been a couple of thousand years, right? And then they describe that, that, that Satan is bound in the bottomless pit. 
Well, if he's in the bottomless pit, that's a pretty long chain. Because this isn't heaven on earth. Anybody see Jesus in Jerusalem having a Bible study? Because that's what goes on in the thousand years. And what the church often does is, and what it used to do a lot, was redefine terms to meet what they wanted, what they thought was important, not what the Word of God says. We have churches today that are trying to redefine, be it social justice or these other things that are not biblical and have no place in the Bible. Well, let's finish with these last two. And so they laid hold of the dragon. I love how, uh, by the way, this end section has all the titles for him. So there is no doubt. Like, who is this dragon? You'll know. The dragon, the serpent of old, the devil, and Satan. And bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. The idea is that he cannot speak. I mean, just think about this for a minute. In the thousand-year reign, next week, Jesus will be teaching, he'll be at the temple, and there won't be the noise of the enemy. Remember, we've talked about this religious Babylon and commercial Babylon and these world systems. That's all noise from him. Imagine having a world that's quiet from the enemy. You should praise God for that uh, uh, that time that is coming. And so he set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more. Now, when we're in Ezekiel and Daniel, you'll read that he sends out, Satan does, his demonic horde to deceive nations, to be behind politicians. You ever wonder how these crazy people get into the place of power they are? Amen? It's because there is demonic forces behind that. Hitler is a great example of that. Stalin, Lenin, Mao Zedong, all down the line. I will not mention our own government because I can't do that, because I don't know that for certain. But I know the evil that has come out of those. And so they are always behind that. So now we have a world that we're going to live in and rule and reign with him that will be silent from that, and there will be no more deception. Isn't that good news? What a great way to end, Pastor. Yes, I know. Ending with, he shut up. You see, we're learning that the end of the book tells us that God wins and that he allows us to be a part of that. We win in the end. The evil that we see on planet Earth will come to an end. It is not forever. And God's judgment is righteous and true, and we will say yay and amen to that. Amen? (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day to see, Lord, the culmination of everything, to see, Lord, your glorious appearing, Lord, that you even allow us to be with you (laughs) and to be a part of the new that will happen on planet Earth. So, Lord, let us have joy and confidence in your coming, joy and confidence that the enemy is put down, that we rejoice, Lord, through the storms, 
of life, knowing that in the end, we either breathe our last and we see you or we hear the trumpet blow. So, Lord, thank you for our day. In Jesus' name, amen.